Welcome to the Helping Families Be Happy podcast, where we explore the often messy world of family, love, and relationships. I am your host for this podcast, Dr. Carla Marie Manley, a practicing clinical psychologist, wellness advocate, and author based in Sonoma County, California. I've teamed up with Familius Publishing to bring you nourishing real-life information about love, family, relationships, and life. And now I am absolutely thrilled to introduce today's guest, Matthew Winner, who will be talking with us about his work as the head podcaster for A Kids Co. Welcome to the show. How Hi, are Dr. you? Dr. Manley. I'm good. What should I call you? Would you like me to call you Dr. Manley? I, I like mind. Carla. I, go, I, I call like you Car- Carla. Carla works for me. We do a blend. My therapist, I call her Dr. Kara. I've been calling her that for 10 years now. It's wonderful. Ah, you've been in therapy for 10 years? Yeah, I've been doing a lot of work on myself. I'm really, really grateful. Therapy is one of the best things that's happened to me. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate hearing that you find therapy an essential in life. It's just so wonderful because so many people will tell me, oh, I'm ashamed about therapy, embarrassed about therapy. And I say, hey, it's just like having your house cleaned or your car maintained. We come into this world not knowing what to make of it. And therapy helps us with skills and learning what to make of it. Oh, yeah. I am a Great, great fan of CBT. I love me some cognitive behavioral therapy, love the rewiring, love the work. I love that I'm able to reflect and 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 see where I was and address my childhood and and apply it to where I am now. It's a great thing. You know, I know we're taking a tangent here. No but I really this like that. It's all <laughs> part of the soup, right? <laughs> it's part of the soup. So when you say, you know, one of those common things I run into when I'm working with someone, they'll say, oh, I don't want to talk about my childhood. I don't okay. want to blame my parents. And I say, well, wait a second. It's not about blaming or shaming parents. It's about seeing the roots of where we can't we where we came from in life understanding what formed us doing more of that which we learned to do well growing up and learning how to do less of that which we didn't you know learn to do so well or just accruing right. new skills is that what your experience is it is i to jump right into it if we can i think that i've really pushed up against this notion that our parents did the best they could. And I've pushed up against that because of my own work in therapy, because of my work with children, and realizing that the the best we can do does not excuse us from doing the work of repairing harm, acknowledging and repairing harm. And so I think that I am grateful that I continue to have an evolving relationship with, with both of my parents and that that they are receptive to us now having the conversations that that I think I wish we had when when I was younger, but it's not lost on me that, that there's a reason they're happening right now. We are both right now ready to have those conversations. And so I'm okay with that. And that's so beautifully put. And I'm going to pick up on two things that you said, and I love where this is going. I could talk this way all day. So, and for any listeners who are, you know, remember this, we're just talking. So if anything feels like uh, triggering to you, just remember it's all a work in progress. So we're not blaming or shaming. We're just saying, hey, these are things that you can do in your life to make your yourself happier, your family happier. If anything feels like it's helpful, take it with you. If it doesn't feel helpful, dispose of it. That 
that said, so Matthew, when you say the piece about, you know, we all do our best, I want to talk about that. But the other piece too, that you're talking about that your parents are in a better place now to deal with you, you know, not deal with you, deal with issues that are coming up for you that I often remind people that, you know, few, not, not, in the too distant past, people grew up with, you know, thinking Dr. Benjamin Spock was the end all be all and that we let yes. our kids cry and that you, you know, and, you know, a generation before that, it was, you know, children, you know, kind of ignore them and they're, they're mini adults. And so when we look at that and say, well, you know, parents today have many more resources than parents did 10, 20, 30, 40, certainly 50 years ago. And so some of that is the backdrop so that for those who want to rescue to their own defense or parents defense, you know, we all learn and we evolve. And like you said, we can come to a place maybe in our 60s that we're able to listen to a child, an adult child in ways we weren't able to 10 or 20 years ago. Fair enough? Can I tell you what the breakthrough was for me? Yes. The breakthrough for me was, well, was this amazing book that my therapist turned me on to called Hold Me Tight by Dr. Sue Johnson. There's a beautiful book about emotionally focused therapy about attachment, right? Yes. And being able to do the introspective work of of attachment, what do I need and how were my attachment needs different from my partners, different from my parents, different from my siblings, allows me to have the perspective that it's it's not people are right or wrong. It's that we weren't seeing each other's attachment needs and, and working to sort of align with them, working to do the work to understand. And that's okay because, again, I've done therapy for over a decade and I know that that I'm a work in progress, that that's what we do. We do, they call it the work because, because it's work. Because <laughs> and that's it- okay. Thank you for sharing that. And by the way, I love that book and I specialize in attachments, one of my specialties. So I'm with you on the power of attachment and realizing, and that goes back to, you know, how we were raised. We didn't learn for many of us. We didn't have parents who knew anything about attachment. They didn't know how to create secure attachment. And so they did just behaviors that, and depending upon the child, it could certainly create a lot of insecure attachment. And so now the work is, as you say, we just start looking at the attachment issues, cleaning them up, cleaning up the issues and becoming more evolved and secure as adults. And that's the beauty of attachment. We can create secure attachment. We can create it no matter how old we are. So thank you for sharing that. (laughs) Of course. I love that you brought up the idea of when people say my parents did their best or so-and-so did their best. And I don't know if this is your perspective and I welcome to have you push back on me about it. But I learned this when I was working with juvenile probation, individuals on juvenile probation, and where people would often say, you know, my parents did their best or this person did their best. And I would, I really learned that no, sometimes people don't do their best. And I learned that by watching, we would bring families, generally many of them, you know, same education, same 
socioeconomic status and some would really show up and be present and other ones would be like let me get out of here I'm here only because I have to be here and so the way I learned to describe it was if I gave everyone in a room assuming we have five people and assuming they all have the same education socioeconomic background I say okay everybody here's fifty dollars go and buy food with that fifty dollars some are going to go and buy chips and candy some are going to go and buy alcohol some are going to go and buy peanut butter and jelly and bread others may buy fresh fruits and vegetables somebody else may take the fifty dollars and go through a fast food restaurant did everyone do their best Again, all, you know, all of these, sometimes not, sometimes we don't do our best. And so again, assuming, and and that's how I like to approach therapy and I'm not judging any of the people's choices. It's just realizing that sometimes in life we don't do our best. And does that resonate with you? I mean, I think I use this a lot. I haven't been on your show to say it. So perhaps (laughs) the people I'm talking to won't know me to know that I say this a lot. But it brings me back to Dr. Maya Angelou, who Mm. wrote, do the best you can until you know better. And when you know better, do better. I think that these cycles, now I was an educator for two decades before going to a kids go and and, uh, running the podcast network there for the past year and a half at this point. And what I saw in my relationships with the parents of the students that I worked with. And I primarily worked in Title I schools because I felt that those were families that, to me, valued me in that space and I valued them in that space. We really were able to go through this process of learning together through support, through bonding. It's not unrelated to all of the therapy things that I've shared. Everything to me, and maybe for everyone, but everything to me, I'm very aware is a an interconnected thread in my mm. life. This job that I have, the way I showed up in education, the imprint that Fred Rogers and LeVar Burton made on me, everything is part of that connected thread. I think that going back to that choice of what do you do with that $50, I, I think that I would say probably everyone in that scenario did the best they could. They just didn't know better at that point. Mm. And so if I apply that two to the relationships in my life, including my parents or my spouses now or my spouse 10 years ago or wherever we are in our growth journey, our life journey, I think it's freeing, it's liberating to say they were doing the best they could. They didn't know better. Mm -hmm. But with the knowledge of knowing better, this is why my relationship, I believe, with my parents is evolving. You can't change other people. They need You can only change yourself. Absolutely. So by me being able to show up with my parents at, at the age where I was able to realize what it looks like to advocate for myself, which came later to me, it came in my 30s and 40s. But when that happened, I was able to communicate to my parents in such a way that it gave them knowledge that then they are charged to do better. You didn't know better before. Now you do know better. Now you're charged to do better. Look at where there is harm. All of us, I feel like this is, this is the work that I do is looking at where harm is caused and asking ourselves, how can we repair that harm? I come from restorative justice practices. Mm. I think that was one of my favorite things that came out of my time in education 
And that's saying a lot because goodness, those kids have their fingerprints all over me and continue to influence everything I do. But this indigenous practice of repairing harm where harm was caused, not seeking to punish, but seeking to acknowledge that we are part of a community. And as a community, we need all of us here. We all have to be able to do this and move forward together. So being able to ask, what does it take in this circumstance to repair this harm that was caused? That went a long way for me. Between that repairing of harm and the working really hard to just see the best in people, to be able to love my parents then and say, they were doing the best they could and love them in a different way now and say, I need them to continue to do the best that they can. And I also will try to do the best that I can. Mm, That's just so beautifully said. And I think the piece about, before we go any further, if you would explain for listeners, you and I understand restorative justice, explain it to our listeners, please. Why don't I explain it through an example a classroom example, because it's it's been used a lot in the justice systems, Mm -hmm. and it will make sense how that works. If I go briefly, crime is committed, and so you have uh, the assailant and the victim, rather than going straight to, let's send this person to, uh, to jail or to an institution for however many years, a penitentiary for however many years, instead bringing the two of them together and saying, talking about what harm was done, the victim being able to say, if I bring it back to the classroom where I'm much more comfortable speaking, Mm -hmm. for a child to say, this injustice was done to me. This harm was done to me. This is how I am feeling. This is how it made me feel. It made me feel unsafe. It made me feel like I'm not welcome in this space. Uh, You do this as a as a group, everyone that was involved in the incident, uh, the teacher that was there, the, 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 the kids that were involved, the adults that were involved, uh, as well as, as neutral parties, like a guidance counselor is how we would, our school mm-hmm. counselor would do it. And we would go around a circle and uh, a restorative circle, as we call it in the practice. And we would share in an objective way. Uh, this is what happened. This is how I feel about it. This is what happened. Often you find that, you know, this incident isn't an isolated incident. It was related to this thing, which was related to that thing, which was related to the thing before, that we are just a series of reactions. And unfortunately, people can step into our series of reactions at really volatile times. And in those volatile times, harm can be caused that seems senseless. Mm-hmm. But to the person that caused the harm, knowingly or unknowingly, there was a lot of sense leading up to it. Well, this happened and I felt uh, I felt wronged. And so I acted in this way to be vindicated. And, and there end up being bystanders that get hurt or, or what have you. I know I'm speaking um, a bit metaphorically, but, but that restorative justice work is to repair the harm so that we can look at the action that happened and mm-hmm. say the action was wrong, but the individual is not a good, bad, whatever person. They are a person who committed this action and being aware of it. Uh, we can talk about what we need to repair it. Well, you hurt me. And so I think what I need to repair this 
is that I need to not sit by that person for the next week or so, because I need time to feel like I can bond with other people. I need to not play with that person at recess. I need, if there was harm caused by a teacher, I, I, I need to ask if there could be another adult in the room. If there, uh, if I could have permission to go see the guidance counselor whenever I'm feeling unsafe, things like that. They're they're unique to the to to the persons that were involved. But again, the ideal here is to repair the harm, not punish and leave it unresolved so that potentially it could just be triggered again. And Does that, that feel fair, Carla? Does that it, feel like a fair? It, it feels like a really perfect way of explaining it Good. for our listeners. Good. And I think, and it matches my experience in the juvenile justice system where some of the, the issues were significant and we can always downgrade these, right? And look at it, listeners, as though it's a it's an issue in your family, right? Kids fighting or one bullies one the other. The idea, again, really mirroring what you're saying, Matthew, is you look at the harm done, no blame, no shame, but you address the person injured so that they can come from a place of empowerment and cure for the long-term, not that short-term punishment of you're bad, but hey, let's cure it for the long-term. And by allowing this person to feel safe and empowered, and then the other person gets to do their work in a corresponding way so that they're not going and bullying or pestering someone else. Yeah. And so that, a, that other person can can be aware we are moving your seats because, yes. not because I'm a teacher and I'm just trying to interject you too and separate you, but because that other child does not feel safe around you. How does it make you feel to know that that person doesn't feel safe around you anymore? Yes. And so uh, again, as we're in that classroom community, Ideally, we all just become much more self-aware as well as class aware that that we are an ecosystem and we are all feeding off of one another. Similarly, in the justice system, that that, that all of us in this society are just part of a fishbowl. We're all we're all part of a a singular ecosystem that that um, affects everything, affects every other thing. You said one of my favorite words, fishbowl. And another favorite, which is ecosystem, right? And (laughs) absolutely, if we look at this, because Familius, who's, you know, we both know is the publisher that's hosting this podcast. And what we really like to see is that we have these core values of, you know, the family values of healing together, reading together, loving together, playing together, learning together. And this is one of those pieces, what we're talking about today and how to be happy. It's, you know, how to be happy and practices such as restorative justice. I believe, and I'd like your opinion on this, not only do they increase learning in the long haul, but they increase healing and then they increase happiness in in the long run if we take these principles whether we're working a justice system a school system or a home environment they're equally applicable do you what do you think i agree i think that there's a lot of value there to heal together for us to say to, for us to understand that that both the person that was harmed and the person that is responsible for the harm can can both be hurting and both need to heal and doing that healing together creates a bond being part of that together creates a bond also i think that there's something to be said 
in healing as a family that the healing structure does not always and should not always be that the parent or guardian heals the the younger children. I, I think it's important that we recognize that the healing can be lateral, that my mm-hmm. siblings, we can heal each other, and also that it can go upwards, that my kids can heal me, making sure that I am communicating with them. When you did that action, that had this effect on me. I really look forward to, I know that you know not to come interrupt daddy in the library when I'm recording, but also when you come in to share a note to communicate to me how you're feeling, it helps me know that you trust me as a safe place. And that means something to me. There's a healing there to know that we are able to see each other and acknowledge the work we're doing. I mean, that's the other thing we're doing, right? Is that we're working together. We are learning how to walk through this world together, ideally in the harmony of our family, where we can practice it and practice it and practice it and practice it so that when we go out to school, out to a job, out to the world, we can apply what we know in the family that we've had, ideally, again, so much practice doing, we can apply it outward. I mean, this is why we do therapy, right? It's so that I can practice with Dr. Kara these things. People can practice with you, Carla, these these skills in an environment that's controlled, that's safe, so that now when I take that thing that I practice with Dr. Kara and I apply it to talking to my parents or my wife or my kids or my colleagues, that I can start breaking down the fear or resistance around them mm-hmm. because I've already got a notch on my belt from doing it in therapy. I've already practiced this. It might go differently when I talk to somebody else, but I'm not doing it for the first time with somebody else. Same thing. When you do that work together as a family, then your kids or you yourself are not going out and doing it for the first time with somebody else. You've already had practice in a very, ideally, a very safe environment. Amazing. Amazing. You, I, I love what you're saying. It's so true and resonates. I was getting chills as I was listening to you because it it's so resonates with me. And let me repeat, you know, a few things that you were saying that you practice it in the family so you can go out and apply it in the world. That is such an exquisite, exquisite statement. Thank you. Because that's it's so true and we often miss that we yeah. have to practice these let's hope they're healthy skills because we're practicing something at home be it healthy or right. unhealthy and it can be unhealthy right, right. Yes. and so if we're practicing healthy loving skills in a family that is safe then we can go out and practice them as you said at school in friendships at work and isn't that the essence of it really of life that if we start from that place of home where we are happy healthy safe loved which is attachment back to attachment attachment. that's secure attachment right and then (laughs) because if we're not no i was gonna say because if we're not attached in that way, then again, as a teacher, I know that when you come in and you get angry right away and the first thing you, I, I would have, I had two kids in particular, I won't name them. I'll just say the 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 one child, his name uh, began with the letter K, in case he ever, in case he ever listens. He's got his fingerprints all over me. I think about K all the time. And when K would be filled with emotion, He would elope from class. He would leave class. Often he would come into the library and many, many times 
he would just take his arm and brush all the books I had on display off of off of the top of the bookshelves. He'd run through, rip stuff down, flip it, because that's that's the way he learned how to respond. That's the way he learned, right or wrong. We said we're always learning, right? They're doing that work. That's the way that he uh, learned how to respond to those big emotions. To use language that we use through our podcast, when you have those big emotions. And, you know, any one of us can respond however we want to in that. I think the challenge that we parents, we colleagues, we guardians have is to try to meet that individual in in their feelings, in their emotions. For me, and it took work, but for me to go, they're just books. Let's look at the positive. He's coming to the library. He mm. runs from a place he doesn't think is safe and for whatever reason, runs to the library. So that can't be nothing. I'm not going to, you know, be self-aggrandizing and go, oh, he comes to the library because this is the place he feels safe. Who knows what he feels, but he comes here. He comes here. And so I want to make sure that the work I'm doing is, is again, loving that child and knowing that those actions are just the, the best way he knows how to respond right now. I mean, but it's also... It's Stephen Sondheim and in Into the Woods. Careful the mm. things you say, children will listen. It's mm -hmm. that. Oh, this is, here's another test for me. He's going to run to the library. He's going to knock off these books. What am I going to do? Because I bet he's watching. I bet he's watching to see, am I just going to be another one of those adults that yells at him, that chases him, that whatever, bans him from a space? I think that the reason why I've worked with children for so long is just how incredibly humbling the work is that I just mm -hmm. I just learn and learn mm -hmm. and learn. They are exceptional at exposing my insecurities, my shortcomings. And that exposure, exposing, leads me to do work, to do better. I was doing the best I could, but then you showed me something and now I'm called, now that I know better, I'm called to do better. I love that piece that children are exceptional at exposing your, but are, you know, are shortcomings, aren't they? And, and our sensitivities, as you were yeah. saying, and that's so beautifully put. I would like to go back to another piece that you said that I think deserves extra emphasis. I could talk to you for hours, for days, for weeks, for years. Okay. So, <laughs> love that. Thank you. Love that. So, where you said, and of course, I'm paraphrasing both the person who is harmed and the person who caused the harm are likely hurting. And it's so true. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's, I mean, it? it's so true. Hurt it's, people hurt people, right? Yes, yes. Yet we often miss that the person, that piece, that the person striking out, whether it's at home or in the school system or in a parking lot, right? That they are coming from a place of hurt, right? Yeah. They are, and I'm not excusing it, but I am saying that it, if we recalibrate it and see it from that place that wounds are often controlling us. Yeah. Unresolved hurt, wounds. Yes. Isn't hurt so much about safety? You don't feel safe in your environment. Mm -hmm. You don't feel safe with the people around you. You don't feel safe in your circumstances, financial circumstances, job circumstances, whatever they are. It all comes back to safety and wanting to protect self. 
and a way we protect self is 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 by pushing others away by fighting by by trying to make sure that that no one causes us further harm even if from an outsider's perspective it seems outlandish to think that that person would be threatening you mm-hmm. it's not outlandish to the person causing the harm they're again that reason why i love those restorative circles so much is is because of vulnerability radical vulnerability absolutely it's that place when you look at maslow's hierarchy of needs right at the very bottom is safety and he focuses on the physical safety and you know food clothing shelter idea and i really believe that once you have those basic needs met very basic and maybe even before that it is the safety of love we're back to attachment we're back to attachment again we want to be safe because and we want to be loved because if we are truly and deeply loved in the most beautiful sense of the word, right? Then we know we are safe because yeah. someone who truly loves us, they might make mistakes, but they won't purposefully harm us. You know, I I mentioned to you about the thread that connects everything, yes. right? And I often joke, I have a joke with my boss, with Jelani, our founder, Jelani Memory, that you 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 can tell what shows in the ecosystem of kids podcasts, you can tell which shows come from us because they, they're little pieces of me out in the world, different hosts, but I draw in those people that feel safe, feel like they know children, like they're talking to children. We have this nonfiction focus at a kid's book about our, our books, a kid's book about racism, a kid's book about anxiety, about anger, about belonging, our, our kids podcasts, we have a podcast about emotions that is a co-listen with young children and, and their grownups, in part about destigmatizing therapy, but also in part about allowing ourselves to feel big emotions. We have a kids podcast about current events and about big topics like school shootings and racism and things like that. And all of it, all of it, Carla, is a work to help help feel safe, help assert the self. We know that kids are ready to talk about these things, but often it's us grownups that are not. Oh, yes. So I think part (laughs) of our work is to ask ourselves, why am I not ready to talk about, we, you know this from being a grown person in the world, but the thing that adults like to do is go, oh, that's not appropriate for children. That's, 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 they're too young for that. They, they, they can't understand that. They can't comprehend what that is. That act of, of childism, of of treating children like they can't handle things, pre, you know, preventing them from accessing information because we have this assumption that they can't handle things. For me, again, is is less about safety, doing the best we can, quote unquote, and and more about you're not ready, grown up. That child is ready, and they're telling you, and we're gonna miss the point of. Uh, Here's my therapy work. I have come to understand that there's no way in my childhood that I wasn't communicating to my parents my needs. Mm. There's no way. But the way that they interpreted it and the way they chose to act, my mom um, is disabled and was in the hospital most of my childhood from ages, I guess for me, roughly ages, maybe like eight to 15. Wow. And that was their, the way they protected me and protected my two younger siblings 
And I use that word very intentionally because I love them and I know that they acted out of love. But the way they they protected me was by normalizing hospitalization, mm-hmm. by diminishing it to the point that I it took me a long time to work through the desensitization around suicide attempts, around causing self-harm, around depression, chronic pain, these things that my mom was struggling with that she even like wrote and self-published a book and just ultimately gave me a copy, but never talked to me oh my goodness. about everything. And, I, and this won't surprise you. It doesn't surprise Dr. Kara that I haven't read past page two in that book because I can't, because I'm your child. I can't experience this through something you wrote. No. That's the work that my mom and I are doing now, and I'm grateful for it. But again, that that work that we do at a kids co is is we say kids are ready and we make things for kids to talk about. Let's talk about sexual abuse from the age of five, because, you know, that's something. What is the number like two in five children oh. by the age of five, ten? Yes. Will, will have an experience. It's, it's huge. So why wouldn't we talk about this? Yes. I was a victim of sexual abuse. And that it took me to age thirty six or seven to be able to, through therapy, notify authorities. It was past time. There was nothing that the state of Pennsylvania could do at that point. But I will tell you that the officer that I talked to on speakerphone with Dr. Kara with me was so kind and caring and and said, I'm sorry that that had to happen to you Mm -hmm. in your childhood. And I hope that the support you, how do you say it? I hope that the support you're receiving today is helping to repair the harm caused to you then. That officer didn't need to say anything like that to me. He just had to say, oh, we filed the report and we're done. The fact that I can see adults trying to protect me in my life, I think is what draws me to our different hosts, to be frank, about the different podcasts that we have, because I see them also trying to protect children by talking up to children by acknowledging their dignity and their agency mm-hmm. and and not taking an approach of let me entertain you first and then drop little bits of education in but rather no i respect you enough to know that i can engage you in big conversations mm-hmm. in a way that feels safe feels trust building and can feel entertaining and engaging because we're in this together and we're doing it together so i'm grateful that that thread has led me to a kids co in doing this work because it just feels like an extension of all the other work I've been doing internally in my family at a school. It just feels like it's all part of the same thread. And what a beautiful thread you have revealed to us today as part of the tapestry of, of your life and your work. And I just so appreciate that you know even even this last piece it's just so precious as we think don't talk down to your children talk up to your children such a beautiful statement and so true because i sometimes think that as we get older the wisdom is kind of leaked out of us somehow and children some you know if we're not careful we can lose some of our our innate wisdom because it's socialized out of us whereas children if you watch them they can be so wise and so curious and so open and so vulnerable and when a child is asking you a question 
listen, answer, answer at the age appropriate level, which does not have to be childish. It can be simple and short and attention span, you know, related to the child. But children want to know because they want to know. Because they need to know. Yeah. And you empower them by giving them that language. If you're using language that they don't understand, then explain it to them. If this is the word for that thing, don't call it something else. That's that's a, 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 a piece of currency that they'll use to navigate the world. Why would you deny them that tool to navigate their world just because it's a bigger word than you think a first grader might hear or something it's it's the word that means the thing that they're saying or feeling or experiencing so it's important that that you say it i mean we we to, to bring it back we talked about children be ex- being exceptional at exposing our insecurities if they're able to see our insecurities what don't you think is appropriate for oh. them to know if they can see you that well then why isn't it appropriate to say, by the way, there are some people in this world that act this way or that cause these cause these harms for these individuals or or that this injustice is happening? Why wouldn't you? Because I'll tell you, you also got the greatest activists in kids mm-hmm. ages five through eight. <laughs> if you've ever been in an elementary school, all they want to do is change the classroom, change the world. I'll come up with new rules. I'll come up with a new thing. All they do every single day is look at their world and think, how can I reshape this to better fit us? And it's we adults that are hampering them from doing that. They're already ready. That's the piece. I think sometimes the wisdom is social socialized out of us. If we look at kids, they're pretty darn smart. They are have some natural wisdom that I think is unparalleled at times. You know that Anyway, I I could keep going on, but I I really do love all of the principles that you're bringing and how to empower children and really see them as unique individuals who, who are innately wise. And again, it's our fears that often get in the way. You're making me think of somebody, a client I was working with just a bit earlier today, and we were working on something and he was asking questions and then I did some role play with him and he said, you know what? I think it's my younger self who was asking those questions. I love that. Oh, yeah. And I said, yes, aren't you so wise? His younger self, you know, 20, 20 years prior was yeah. showing up and wanting questions answered in I the here and isn't that just beautiful? Oh. Yeah. Therapy has given me the ability to say, this is going to maybe sound strange to to listeners who haven't experienced this type of practice, or maybe listeners, this is a practice that has already come natural to you, but it's not been natural to me. But therapy has given me the the skill of being able to say, I feel sad that that younger version of myself experienced that. Mm-hmm. No wonder I feel like that now. It's it's sort of allowing me to, I don't know, to to look almost like looking at an image, looking through a mirror at my younger self or something, whatever metaphor you want to use. But being able to be, this is profound, I guess, <laughs> being able to be an adult in present time who is able to show up in my childhood to care for me. 
Absolutely. That's a huge part of the work. How did we ever know, right? All the adults that maybe weren't there for me, how would I have ever known that 30 years later, I would be an adult that could be here for me? Wow. Wow. Isn't it just, is listeners, this one's for you, but I just want to jump on what Michael was saying there. If there are parts of you that, I'm sorry, Matthew, of course it's Matthew, Matthew Winner. (laughs) There are parts, as Matthew is just describing, where, and this is part of, you know, the no shame, no blame thing, that when you notice there's a part of you that's hurting, that is okay, and this is a way I work with people, I was working with someone who doesn't know how to come home from work and do any self-care. And I said, well, what was it like for you when you came home from school? Before you started homework, did somebody greet you, give you a hug, ask you how your day was? And I could see the client's eyes getting bigger and bigger, like what reality are you living in? Did they give you a glass of milk or water and some carrots or a cookie? And the client was saying, are you crazy? And what reality does that happen? And so the work in that session was for this client to go back and let her younger self come in. And she did the care and the comforting and here's and slowly and be able to do that self-care and learn what that would have looked like and feel like. And so then she will, this client will be able to do that more for herself in the here and now. And then when that client, if she chooses to have kids, what? She will have a template of how to do it differently, which is all we really want, isn't it? In our adult worlds, we want to know, which is back to restorative justice. We don't want to blame or shame. We want to know it will be done differently in a healthy way. Yeah. We just want that safety. I just want to know that I'll be, I don't, I don't need to blame then. I just need to know that I'll be safe today and tomorrow boy if i can get safe tomorrow too if we can work that into the deal then i'm even better oh way better way better knowing that the same thing is going to be carried forward yes safety security what it's what we want we want to be loved we want to you know just uh okay part three thousand we'll have to schedule (laughs) we'll have to keep going in segments (laughs) i'm so sorry we we just had too too much to cover so my goodness, are there any other pieces you'd like to share with us today, Matthew? As any I again, other pieces. <laughs> I, I think, you know, we talked about working together and we talked about healing together. I think that the other component that I just want to make sure that we all hear, because all of us are witnessing this moment together, I want to make sure that we all agree to learn together and really mm. to take on that position of learner. What do I have to learn in this situation? Not what am I going to teach whomever? How am I going to correct them? How can I write this wrong and get things to work in my favor to support my ego? But rather, what can I learn here? And and let's, let's work to share that. There's nothing I've come to love more than being able to reflect back to my children you just taught me something new. I never knew that. Or even better, I love when this happens. I never knew that about you. You you have a preference for that thing? I never knew that. I'm so glad you taught me that. I'll keep that in mind so that next time I'm getting a gift for you or thinking about what our next activity could be, I'm going to remember that thing you told me. Uh, it's that. It's learning together. Just the delight of 
the delight of all the things I didn't know, even if it's all the things that I need to unlearn, there can be a delight there in in who I'm going to become after I learn it. Absolutely. I I start every morning off with Louis Armstrong's It's a Wonderful World and that part where he says, you know, they'll learn much more than I'll ever know or never know, depending upon which one you hear. But And that's so true. There is, and some people think not knowing is a negative, yet not knowing opens a window oh, into yeah. a billion things. So when we have, one of my favorite not that I know much Latin, but Ancora Imparo, always learning, always yeah. learning, always learning. And if we can adopt that in life with humility, my goodness, because, you know, like you, I was in education and I learned when I was teaching a third and fourth grade gifted class, kids were way smarter than me, like <laughs> way smarter. And I just have, had to keep saying, I don't know, let's look it up. I don't know. Let's research it. I don't know. And no ego about it. Just realizing I'm with a group of, you know, kids way younger than I am and their cumulative intelligence or maybe even singular intelligence was like <laughs> way. I just like, I don't know. I don't know. Let's look it up. And boy, when you say, I don't know, in a really genuine way, whether to your partner, your child, your coworker, you've just opened up the world to discovery. Yeah, look how you model when you say, I don't know, how you just model a willingness to engage with wonder. Mm. And wonder can be about mundane things. I don't know why I chose to wear these two different color socks. It just brought me joy. Well, I'm going to remember that now, daughter, because I do all of this work to meticulously match your socks, but it brings you joy to have them unmatched. So I wonder if there's a better way that I can put them in your drawer to help you find that joy more readily. It's that. It's it's wonderful to delight in those things that I can learn. What a marvelous parent. What a marvelous parent. Doing the uh, best I can. <laughs> absolutely. Okay. Listeners, going to repeat something that our dear guest just offered to us, another gem. Saying, I don't know, is a willingness to engage with wonder. Is that not just a gem? <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Oh, my goodness. So let's see. Matthew, I'm just so grateful for all of your time and wisdom and energy today. Where can our listeners find you? Carla, I thank you for having me on. You can find me personally on the internet if you Google Matthew Winner. It's the most obnoxious thing to say. But because of my work in the library and in teaching and in a public space, I'm very Googleable. But I would really especially love listeners if you have young children. I would love for you to visit akidsco.com. I'd love for you to click on that podcast tab. And I'd love for you to find shows that see your kids, your beautiful, brilliant, amazing kids, that meet them where they are, that celebrate their wonder and their complexities and questions and amazingness. And I would love for you to love them together. That's all. Go find a show. We got a bunch of them. Go find a good one. They're all good. You'll love them. Excellent. Excellent. I'm so excited. Okay. Listeners, that's a kidsco.com. 
letter A, K-I-D-S-C-O dot com. Go find those podcasts. Oh, my goodness. So thank you again. And the spelling of Matthew's name, just in case, M-A-T-T-H-E-W, winner, W-I-N-N-E-R. And as we conclude today's podcast, I'd like to thank Familius Publishing for their support in bringing this amazing podcast to your ears and your heart. We'd be thrilled if you'd subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes and social media. If you'd like more wonderful Familius content, be sure to visit us at Familius.com. You will find our Habit Hub blog as well as a spectacular selection of books for families. One step at a time, we can and will make the world a happier place. Thank you for sharing your time with me, Dr. Carla Marie Manley. It has been a joy and a true pleasure. Be well and shine, shine, shine as only you can do. (laughs) 